Commander Shepard has been recovered. The Lazarus Project will proceed as well. Welcome to the Lazarus Project Podcast, a Mass Effect podcast discussing its characters, lore, theory, and opinion. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the DLC for the Mass Effect franchise and picking out our personal favorite. My name's Tim, and joining me is my co-host, Craig. Hello. But first, here's the news. Welcome to Citadel Newsnet. I'm Emily Wong. I thought it was quite interesting that... There was an interview with Mac Walters where he talked about his reasons for leaving and it was in part, or interestingly, it was a part of it was kind of how he felt while he was working on the Legendary Edition. Like, All right. So the, Bio, the Bioware team, like, because, well, apparently at the time they had a lot going on, they were working on all sorts of different projects and they didn't want to separate the main team that were working on their bigger projects uh, from, you know, what they were doing. So EA put like a small, like scrappy team of people to work on the Legendary Edition. And it was kind yeah. of a last minute thing. It wasn't like a major thing that they've been planning for a long time. Um, so yeah, he describes it as unplanned in this article with Euro- Eurogamer. Basically, it, it took him back to the days when they were working on the original trilogy um, or the first game. And there were just people wearing multiple different hats, doing multiple different roles, because, you know, that was that was how they had to do things during that first game, because they had, you know, less money and just less budget sort of thing. Yeah. And, yeah, he, he sort of, he enjoyed the camaraderie, was kind of his words. He, he started to wonder if maybe he could convince EA to make that their style of doing things moving forward, to kind of take it back to make it a bit more focused. Yeah. You mean like going back to the multiple hat thing or? Yeah, exactly. And sort of, yeah, not making it such like large teams that even maybe felt disconnected in his opinion. And when they basically turned him down and said, that's not, that's that's not the direction they're going in. um, He decided that this was it for him. He just kind of thought, it was it was almost like the joy of working on the Legendary Edition reminded him of how much Bioware had changed. Yeah. His exact words are, I don't want to do any more Mass Effect after this. Um, that's, that's fair. Uh, to be honest, I don't think it, it, it sounds like a very efficient way of working. If you've got multiple hats on and you... You know, maybe you one day you're, you're doing a bit of graphic design and then the next day you're doing a bit of coding and then the next day you're doing a bit of playtesting and... You thought you'd have separate teams. That's the coders and that's the playtesters and that's the the uh, the writers. And yeah. to me, that would work better than than people all over the place doing little bits of here and little bits there. And I'd imagine that's I don't a know lot well more. from in the original game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, otherwise, I you know, if it didn't work, then people wouldn't do it. <laughs> or you know, like I, everyone's got to start somewhere. So. You know, you've got to learn those different skills, I suppose. Um, yeah, there is that. It is how you you kind of expand your skill set, isn't it? Yeah, but it also just sounds more exciting. Like, I imagine doing the same job constantly just gets boring. Like, if you're just focused on doing, um, I don't know, if you're focused on doing coding constantly for the entire project. If a game is, like, 40 hours long, 
and your job is just to just do coding, like, I don't care how much you love coding, there's got to be some days where you just think, oh my god, I wish I was doing something else. You know? Yeah. But and it's that's probably if you, you're going to be to play devil's advocate, then, then that's going to be a passion, isn't it? You, that's what you you got in an industry to do. You're going to be, you know, the top of your field in that, aren't you? Especially if you're working for Bioware, it's not like a little indie company, is it? I suppose it's also something to be said about being the. What's, what was um, his title before he left the studio? Was it creative director or something? Uh, something like that, yeah. Because I imagine being creative director of a much larger scale studio where you've got multiple people and you like obviously you can't talk and like you can't have those kinds of meetings where you talk to everyone and like being able to just be in a small team where you're being friendly with each other and you're just enjoying the process of working together like i imagine that's quite exciting like to a certain point you're almost like working with your mates when you've got a smaller team yeah. Yeah, that's true. If you even if like you're, you're overseeing a small team, you're going to be directly speaking to the the guys on the, you know, working on the project, aren't you? You get to somewhere like Bioware, and you're going to be the creative director. Then you're going to have heads of department, and then they're going to have, you know, managers underneath them. So that he gets further and further away from actually seeing the product firsthand. Yeah. And, you, and you're not talking to the people that are making the game. You're just, like you say, because you're so much further away, you're just talking to another executive or another director or another person who's just in charge of that other group. Yeah. You're not, like, directly talking to the people making the game. Maybe that's what his new studio is going to be like. Uh, Worlds Untold, that's the studio name. Okay. Uh, founded in November, and it is going to be um, a triple A. Triple A action adventure game. Oh no, the game's called Worlds Untold. Hmm. Oh, so oh, it's not. The, no, sorry. The new studio called Worlds Untold is backed by Chinese game firm NetEase. It's based in Vancouver, Vancouver, and a fully remote company. Okay, so it's not. It's not an RPG. Um, Worlds Untold will build franchises that go on beyond games. Walters and his team built Worlds Untold to create IPs with depth and possibility that can't be contained in a single game or in a single medium. Uh, the team's debut project is underway, a near-future action-adventure game in a breathtaking world filled with mystery and exploration. I'm not really sure what that means, to be honest. Like, <laughs> it's a bit of a word salad, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, but it, it sounds like a project that encapsulates multiple projects, like it's got projects within that. I, I don't really know what to make of it. Uh, that was taken from IGN, by the way. Just so we can don't want to get into trouble. Credits uh, where credits due. It just it it's it's really sad that he did end up leaving Bioware, but it honestly just makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, they've lost a few good uh, people over the past couple of years. Yeah, it's just that kind of fear that you know if if they're not feeling the love for Mass Effect in the in that new project, is that love going to translate into the next game? Is it is it going to feel like a passion project or is is it going to feel like the same love is being put into it than was put into the original trilogy? Uh, so the only other bit, any other bit of news we've got is uh, our new patron. So if you'd like to support the show, uh, you can do by going to Patreon. And the page you need is the Lazarus Project Podcast 801. 
it's just got the the one tier at the moment. Uh, maybe there will be some more in the future, but for now, it's just a, a little something and to help support the show. And in return, you might get a, like a maybe a bonus episode or a little bit of a snippet of the upcoming episode, uh, just as a little heads up for you. All right, so we've, uh, we're going to go through the DLC, uh, the Mass Effect franchise, and start with Mass Effect. Now, there wasn't a great deal of DLC for the original game. Uh, there was uh, Bringing Down the Sky. And Pinnacle Station. And Pinnacle Station. So which one do you want to start with? Um, Bring Down the Sky. If you've not played this small bit of DLC, uh, it was the only story-really-based story one, as uh, Pinnacle Station's more of a like a shooting arena. Uh, but this did actually expand a little bit of the story and brought in the Batarians because they're not seen in the main game. Although you hear a lot about them. This is the first time you get to see them. I didn't actually realise that. No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about that. But yeah, that's pretty crazy. It does make you wonder, like, was... Were they races that they were thinking about? I mean, I imagine they were thinking about, but were they, like, planned originally to come into the game? Or was that, like, you know, when they decided they were going to do a DLC, they thought, oh, yeah, let's create a whole new race sort of thing? Like, um, I think hadn't the Batarians had been planned to be in the main game, but they got cut. That's why you hear a lot about them, rather than actually seeing them. I don't know, if you say so. I'm pretty sure that they were, they had some cut content or something, or that it was planned content that wasn't actually made. Hmm. It's interesting that they didn't, that the content was cartoon then, because that was before EA, wasn't it? So I imagine they weren't pressured into a release window. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe they just felt something wasn't right about the content or the content that they were going to include it in, they didn't feel was quality enough. Yeah. In some way. But, Bring bring down the sky, like I thought that was a really cool DLC. I I it didn't feel like a DLC. I think that's one of the main things. Like Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. It's I mean it, yeah. I'll just give you the description of it so uh everyone's knows what's going on. Uh the Batarian extremist groups hijacked a mobile asteroid station in the Asgard system, setting it on a collision course with the nearby Connolly world of Terra Nova. Only you and a hand-picked crew of the Normandy can save millions of innocent civilians before the asteroid completes its deadly ascent, deadly descent. This is the first downloadable content pact and further expands the Mass Effect universe and continues the adventures of Shepard and the Normandy crew. Was this taken from the the wiki? Uh, So yeah, so once you got on there, you had, uh, was it about three three rocket boosters you had to go and shut down to stop the asteroid crashing? There was a couple of side side quests on there as well, weren't there? Yeah, yeah. There was there was um. God, well, I think you had to pick up some tags, like as evidence of like some of the some of the bodies that had been lost or something, like some of the um scientists that had died. Yes, like you had to go find to, like, their their bodies. Yeah, you had to find some like evidence or something, and bring it to the lead guy at the end to sort of like give them some closure, I suppose. I think I think you get like a I don't know if you get a weapon for saving them in general. But like 
you get a special special piece of equipment of your choice or something at the end. Possible. It's been a while since I played it. To be fair. Yeah, I, I think your choices are like a special piece of armor, a special omni tool, or a special weapon. I can't remember if you have to do those assignments for if you have to do those assignments to do it. But um, you've also got like a paragon or renegade where you have to where you can like pressure them or convince them to give you something extra as well. Yeah. Yeah, there was a uh, a moral choice in there as well, wasn't there? Oh yeah, yeah. The the main choice was like if you want to let Balak go, or you know, just hunt him down and risk losing the scientists they had hostage. It was stop Balak, or save the hostages and save obviously the colony that the asteroid's heading for. Yeah, it's probably one of the rare occasions. I mean, if you break down like the most important missions of Mass Effect one and the most important choices in those um like you've got the end mission obviously where you've got to save the council sacrifice them you've got the ashley or caden sacrifice you've got potentially depending on how big you see it as a decision saving rex or killing him and besides that i mean choosing the councillor, i guess but that was kind of null and void later down the line but that bringing down the sky dlc had a major choice like that you could that you could do early on really it added something extra it added um some more stakes really things really aren't heated up until you realize just what's at stake at the end you know when yeah when 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 like there's the risk of the reapers literally coming through now through the citadel that's when you really feel the stakes but this this dlc like it had so many lives on the line and stuff it felt a little bit more intense and i think I think there were probably ways they could have made it feel a bit more. Intense. Like they could have had a, a countdown or something. But I th- I liked it. I thought it was um, a really nice way of like giving Shepard something important to do. That wasn't just the main story. Because, yeah. Yeah. It know, was. It was a nice. It was a nice story add-on. That's for sure. One of the uh, one of the trivia things for it, uh, which uh, it's it's quite nice actually um because in the main game a lot of the buildings are the same ones that you find on the planets they're they're quite repetitive uh but with an interview with destructoid uh one of the designers revealed that a different designer worked on each of the fusion torch buildings and there was friendly competition between them to to see who could design the best torch encounter given the limitation they had of using the same building shape uh, so that was the result of the distinctive layouts for the buildings on X-57 compared to the uh, unexplored planets. Okay. So it's a shame that they couldn't do that with um, with all the other ones, but yeah. I suppose if you're making DLC, you've got a bit more time, haven't you? Because the main game's done, and it's stuff that you're adding on afterwards. Yeah, I do think that's quite cool, though. Like, is it? It also kind of brings it back a little bit to that whole ragtag multiple hats thing, like it. The friendly competition to be as creative as possible like yeah that's, that's that's really cool and that's like a you know a testament to them having fun with what they're doing and it kind of reflecting a little bit on you know the environments looking different in the first place dragon age 2 the environments look very samey like all of the caves feel very samey but in bring down the sky it very much feels like those environments are unique because like you say they're communicating they're having fun in what they're doing and there's a lot of love that goes into it yeah um 
obviously they're limited by resources and that's why you know the dlc isn't as epic as some of the others but i still think it's fun for its time like it yes yeah, no it was it was good and i liked i liked the moral choice and because it is it's very you can't you know as a as a paragon player you want to do both you want to stop the terrorist and you want to save the hostages mm. but you can't you can only do one or the other that's the thing though as well actually mm. save save for the Caden or ashley choice it's a one choice where you can't win either way like you're sacrificing multiple lives it's like if you let Balak go then you are sacrificing any people that he might kill later down the line like it is something that you really have to think a little bit more about yeah yeah and i'm glad they didn't forget about it either no, no, they didn't. Any negatives? Anything you didn't like about it? I really didn't like the bombs, you know, the mines that you have to kind of tiptoe around. <laughs> like, you have to be very careful, don't you? Because if you go yeah. too close proximity, you die. Yeah, you can't drive the Mako through there. You, you've got you've to gotta run. Yeah, you should try doing that on insanity. It's ridiculous. <laughs> the enemies do not make it easy for you, easy on you. Like, I bet not. Yeah, I, I, wouldn't yeah. Have the, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't have the patience for it. Yeah, you've got like multiple rockets, just they're not hesitating. And at the same time, you're trying to tiptoe around mine. Yeah, it was a nightmare, but you know, they were creative with it. And I think there's something nice about the challenge of it. It's even the bad points. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not too bothered by. How about you? Yeah, no, pretty much the same. Sometimes that fight with Balak can be a little frustrating when you've got the, uh, the rocket drains and that to deal with. Oh yeah, that sort of that main boss fight at the end is a bit annoying, yeah. Yeah. You got balls, Shepard, but it's still just a simulation. Even our best VIs aren't as good as the real thing. And turn off the safeties. No safeties? Highest level of difficulty? You'll never do it. And then I'll have to explain how a Spectre died on my station. What do you want to bet? A wager, huh? Yeah. Okay. I've got a nice little retirement place on Entice. I never go there, and I don't plan on retiring anytime soon. It's yours if you can beat it. And what are you wagering? My life. Right. So you really want the safeties off? If you die, it's getting logged as user error. I'm not losing my job over this. What's this place like? So the, uh, so the next one is the Pinnacle Station. All I really have to say about Pinnacle Station is I thought it was cool to earn a gun and I didn't realize <laughs> I didn't realize you could get an apartment out of it. And you not? Did you not finish it? I no, I didn't realize there was like a finish it sort of thing. <laughs> I, I knew I had to beat a certain guy's high score to get a gun and I got that and I was like, "Cool, got the gun, got to go." But yeah, really so the Pinnacle Station again it, it's like a battle simulator. You go to a a station and you have to do, there's like 10 different waves of different uh, stages. So you might be having to race through a, a stage and kill everything as fast as you can, or you might have to just stay alive as long as you can, or uh, what was the other one? Kill as many things as you can or something like that. But you've got a varying levels of difficulty as well, haven't you? So you start off um, easy and then all the way up to hard. And you've got to get the top score in everyone. And then once you have done all that, the commander of the station will tell you about the last, his last stand in during the first contact war. And he puts that on with no um, restrictions. 
uh, so you can die and you've got to i think you've got to last something like two minutes i think it is while technically you, you were getting you had to you were pinned down you was outgunned and you cavalry was coming in to pick you up but you had to survive for the the two minutes and it can get very you've got to have a you know you your full shields and you've got to be fully up with your uh your med packs and stuff like that because it it's it's tough it is it's tough i can't imagine trying to do that final level on, on insanity that would, it would just i mean i play on easy and i still struggle with it so <laughs> But yeah, and uh, at the end of it, if you do it, then he gives you his apartment, uh, which is it's a nice little extra. But to be fair, if you're coming to you play this part of the DLC, then you've probably finished the main game already, so it's pretty pointless. Um, but you can get some cheaper armor uh, from the terminal in there and cheaper weapons and that sort of thing. So. I do think it would have been quite cool. Um, and obviously, I haven't seen the apartment. I mean, I've seen bits of it. It would have been quite cool if you could bring your companions to that apartment. Yeah, I think that's probably why they they did the the Anderson apartment in three. I think it was based on that that idea yeah. that you can have your place to to go and bring your friends and hang out and so and you get a nice view, you know, planet view, and you can see the Mako parked outside. But there isn't much to do there. You can't you can't do anything really. You just get there for cheaper armor, and that's it. Sounds fun. I do. I think it's funny the idea that the guy just gives you his apartment. Like, sure, I'm just going to be homeless just because you did such a good job. <laughs> but yeah, there's some nice little like uh, NPC banter that goes on inside inside the station, and there's a a Tory in there that thinks he's the best, and he gets a bit angry when you start beating all his high scores and that sort of thing. Uh, but there isn't much really to talk about. There's anything you didn't like about it? I didn't really play it for long enough to not like it. I mean, it was it was pretty challenging. And honestly, if it gets more, ch- if the idea of it getting more challenging than how it got to get the gun is very terrifying to me. Probably the challenge of it was what I didn't like, just because I'm not all for making games as challenging as possible. That's why I don't play Dark Souls. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same. <laughs> I, I, my time of, uh, of throwing control pads across the room is, uh, is long gone. <laughs> so I play games to enjoy. And that, that's it, not for uh, to get stressed out at because I can't do it. <laughs> Except Mass Effect multiplayer on Saturdays. Yeah. Yeah, that was that one, to be fair. Yeah, we have got a bit better. Okay, so uh, Mass Effect 2. First piece of DLC for this was the Normandy crash site. There are some like extra DLCs for Mass Effect 2, but I think we'll just stick to the main story ones, really. So the Normandy's crash site, this was a free DLC at the time. It's not really a story-based DLC. I, I really liked it, to be fair, because it was like a nice little homage to the original Normandy. Uh, you go and visit the crash site, and you can put down a monument and you can find some dog tags and you get a few little flashbacks of the original game. And that's about it. There's no enemies to kill or it's very quiet. It's very somber. I'll just say that it's something they didn't have to do. There's many games where you kind of, that's the story that they told in one. And now this is the story, you know, fair enough. You're carrying your character forward, but you've got a new ship, you've got a new crew and that's, 
you don't need to go back and do anything to do with with the original so putting this in i thought was a, a nice touch yeah i i actually kind of i kind of disagree because i do feel like the game wouldn't be right to me without some kind of recognition of your crew from the first game like it, it feels very sudden like the normandy being in danger at the start of the second game and you know whilst there are characters in there that i actually couldn't get couldn't care less about as as we talked about in our least favorite characters you know presley um <laughs> it's it still felt weird that the, the idea of them just sort of saying, okay, they're gone. Let's move on now. You're alive. We've, you're back alive. That's the main thing. We've brought Joker back. Leather seats. Everything's great. And we're just going to completely forget about the crew that were murdered like five minutes ago. <laughs> Not five minutes ago for them, but like, yeah, five minutes ago for us. And that sort of like, taking that somber moment to to go around and 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 sort of honor the dead or respect the dead or take a moment for them. I think when you're any kind of soldier, whether you're in the future or not, taking that moment is like important. And as, and as a role-playing mechanic as well, when you're playing as Shepard, Shepard would take that moment to remember his fallen soldiers or her fallen soldiers. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit like having the memorial thing on the, the Normandy, isn't it? So you can go and have a look at that. and Yeah. And I almost feel like the monument isn't appropriate. I feel like it should have just been something subtle. Like I don't really, I, I don't, I don't know if it should be a tombstone, but something that's a bit more respectful than like a, hey, look, fancy Normandy. <laughs> you know, the Normandy. I do like that you get to choose where you want to put it, though. Yeah. I think even if they just gave you a choice of what mon- what the monument looks like. Like if they gave you some customization over that, yeah. Because I think I would have gone with something smaller, or I don't know. But the one thing I do like about it is it it gives you like a little bit more into to Presley. It actually like tell it actually gives you some indications that he was changing over the course of the first game, and and didn't hate aliens as much as he did at the start. That's one thing I always wanted to test, actually. Because you can change how he how he thinks of aliens in Mass Effect One, can't you? Depend on your conversations with him. You can either tell him to pipe down and have to work. Yeah, we have to work with with aliens, or you can agree with him, and he you know carries on with his xenophobic ways. I never actually tested it to see if that message changes when you go to the, the Normandy crash site, because it every time I've been there, it's always, oh, I, you know, I, I wasn't sure at first, but working with Shepard and the, and the aliens isn't been too bad, actually, or something along those lines. But I've never tested yeah. it whether you, if you fuel his xenophobia, if it, uh, if it changes the message or not. Well, conveniently enough, I'm doing a xenophobic playthrough at the moment, so. Oh, you'll have to. <laughs> let us know then yeah but like yeah Over, overall i liked it but it's there's not really that much to it I, I feel like it's important but there's not really much to it is there no 
So the uh, the next one to be released for Mass Effect 2 was uh, Zahid, the Price of Revenge. Zahid was a, a DLC character, came with his own little backstory. Pretty much the same as all the other characters. They've got their, their own loyalty mission, isn't it? Yeah. The only difference is that Zahid and Kasumi, who's the other DLC character, that you can't really interact with them much on the ship after you get a few flavor conversations, but that's about it. So unlike the main characters, they don't really go into a, a lot of details. They'll just tell you about a few things about them and their items in the in the cabin that they're in. Yeah, I do wonder if they were companions that they always planned to add or if it was kind of like a, we need DLC, so we have to invent a character situation. Possible, isn't it? It's like, uh, uh, what was the, the character from 3? Javik? Hey? Javik? Yeah, Javik, that's it. They cut him out of the uh, the main game and then put him on a day one DLC. Yeah, yeah, they did, and it, we can we can obviously come back around to him or whatever. But I think that was a huge mistake. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Zahid's story uh, basically wants to go after his uh, his former uh, partner in crime, wasn't it? The, the guy that Vito Santiago. Yeah, and again, you get another uh, moral choice. One that, uh, I mean, it is possible to not side with Zaid and still get his loyalty. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you can either choose, because you go through this factory and it starts, he starts a fire, which then is going to blow up the factory. So you can either save the factory workers or you can go and complete Zaid's mission. If you save the factory workers, then, uh, what's his name? Santiago? Yeah. He gets away. It kind of feels like a no-brainer to save the hostages, to, to to save the workers, though, because I mean the game doesn't make it like they give you hints that you might not get the loyalty of Zaid if you save the workers. But the thing is, when you save the workers, you're not explicitly sure that Vito Santiago will get away. And I think a lot of players won't realise that you can actually lose people's loyalty with this choice. And so at that moment when you choose to save the workers, it feels like a, as I said, a no-brainer. Like a, okay, of course I'm going to save these workers. I'm not just going to leave them. But, you know, on a replay you do kind of realise that it's a, it's a bigger choice than, than you realise on the first round. Yeah. Yeah, depending on when you do it as well. Because if you do it, I think when you, you you can still gain his loyalty and let him get away if you do it. Is it um, like a a speech check on it? Yes. Yeah, if you you can you can convince him to, which is really weird to me. To be fair, it feels like a little bit of a out. Like you can you can convince him to let go of his desire for revenge, basically. Like, I don't know, when, in his words, you just cost me 20 years of my life. Like, <laughs> and, you know, he got shot in the head, <laughs> which I still don't know how he survived that. But, like, he went through so much pain and trauma and grief, and you can just convince him in five minutes to drop it and be like, <laughs> okay, I'll work with you and go after the collectors. I'm not going to continue to chase it. The Santiago. ones that really... 
You're like, yeah, okay, no worries. Come on then, let's go. <laughs> but yeah, the one thing that really did annoy me about Zahid as a character was that you've done this mission and he's the founder of the Blue Suns and yet nobody knows who he is and there's never, ever mention of it ever again. And it's like you're chasing after this one guy because he, he betrayed you and stole your gang. And yet nobody knows who you are anyway. Like, what's the point? I think it would be absolutely amazing is if they not only acknowledged that, but every time you come across the Blue Suns, like you have some kind of speech check where you can convince some of them to work with you and Saeed if he's in your group. Yeah. Or even if it was just a case of, it's Saeed, kill him. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the group's been completely turned against him. Yeah. Um, or like Vido Santiago sends his regards before they start fighting. Yeah. <laughs> just something like that. It would have just yeah. added that little bit of just mwah, to the uh to the situation. But again, if if Zaid was a character that they've they've brought in afterwards, then Yeah. I yeah, also I also think there was room to do so much more as well with that whole like the price of revenge thing, like I feel like you would understand Zaid so much more if you had a vendetta against Vito Santiago as well. Like, if if you were, like, a victim of circumstance or something, like, Vito Santiago was... Let's say Vito Santiago was the villain of Bring Down the Sky, for whatever reason. Yeah. And, you know, he had already gotten away before, and you don't want him to get away again. And then instantly you're, you, you are, like, relating to Zaid, and you're just like... Yeah, this guy's like a masochist. He could kill so many people. And then instantly you have that kind of thought in your head, like, oh my god, should I save these workers? Because, I mean, this guy... I mean, you see a little bit of it in the Price of Revenge DLC, but this guy is willing to kill whoever and destroy the facility, if need be. But I think you need to see that on a larger scale, and you need to have a vendetta against him as well to feel what Zaid feels. And then instantly you kind of understand him as a character. But wouldn't, wouldn't it sway your decision, though? Well, yeah, it would. And, like, it makes the decision, like, less clear-cut. Like, you, I can imagine someone would still want to save the workers because they would think I could still, I could still maybe catch Santiago and still go so they would save the workers. But then on the other side, I feel like you would get more people to be like, but he could get away again. And then instantly that choice is a lot harder. I don't know. That's just me. I'm just not a big fan of Zaid, and I think that would be a good way to understand his, you know, his need for revenge. You got anything else to say on Zaid? Um, I like his little stories in the Normandy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that he was a, a cast member. And I've actually used him. The last playthrough I did, I actually used him quite a bit more. I've been trying to branch out a bit because I have a, a tendency to stick to the characters that I like and not play any of the other ones. Mm. So, but yeah, and it, it was, it got some good banter, um, like crew banter and stuff. Yeah. The Alliance could be implicated. Kasumi, I, I encrypted the information to keep it safe. And I uploaded the encryption key to your grey box, so no one could get the whole package. 
I'm dead. And if anyone knows about this, then I've made you a target, my love. I'm so, so sorry. Keiji. I know you, Kasumi. You'll want to keep these memories forever. But you don't need some neural implant to know I'll always be with you. Please, Kasumi, destroy these files. There's nothing more I can do to protect you. I... I can't do that. This is all that's left. Uh, so then there was Kasumi. She was the other DLC character uh, with her own loyalty mission. I must admit, I quite like Kasumi's uh, loyalty mission. It's one of my favourite part favorite parts of the DLC is the, the party. Mm. Yeah, it feels different because you're not, like, expected to shoot your way out of it. I mean, you no. are towards the end, but this is, like, the first one where you've just got to kind of... You've got to do something discreetly for a change. I think it's the closest you get, really, to, like, an in-game... Not, like, a mini-game, but, like, just a regular game puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of gives you the impression that you could be a spy, so it's not always a case of just going in there, guns blazing. You've kind of go in there, like, a bit like James Bond sort of thing. Oh, yeah. And the music and the smuggling weapons in and the sarin statue it all feels feels very espionage and the prized artifacts and you get all the little easter eggs when you go into the basement you yeah. see the, the ogre from dragon age and the uh statue of liberty's head and yeah it's a, it's a nice deal so any downside for me is once you've done it once the the party can come off a bit tedious yeah because the the working out of what you need to do that you kind of know it all so you're just kind of going through the motions rather than it being something new and exciting yeah i completely agree i don't i don't enjoy doing it anymore it just it feels like something i have to do because i know exactly what's going to happen i know you know rich guy's going to betray me here or i'll walk over here to deactivate the laser field get his recording of his voice yeah you don't have to go around the, the room looking for a dna sample you just you know exactly where to go for it, that sort of thing. Yeah. I still manage to alert the guards every time. But... <laughs> yeah, and that, that, to be fair, I quite like that there's a couple of different ways you can actually get into his room. So they still give you a couple of options. It just feels like it's lacking a decision, I think. I mean, you do have the decision at the end, I guess, about KG's grey box. Yeah. Like if, um, if Kasumi should open it or not. But I don't know. That feels like a decision that shouldn't be a decision for Shepard anyway. No. No, it's, it should be a decision for her, shouldn't it? Yeah. The uh, leads us on to the two major DLCs for Mass Effect 2. So next up was Layer of the Shadow Broker. She's I noticed. You okay? Still better than the Mako. She's got reinforcements. What kind of guns does this thing have? It's a taxi. It has a fare meter. Wonderful. Truck. I know. Truck. And this is the return of Liara. Although you can meet her in Mass Effect 2, she didn't really say much. And she got you chasing some terminals and then said that she can't meet you because she's, she's on her own mission and she can't join you, that sort of thing. She's tracking down the mysterious Shadow Broker. Uh, she'll do anything to her. Recover the man that the broker kidnapped. It actually follows on from her uh, redemption, the redemption comic. Uh, so yeah, so during the events of Mass Effect Redemption, uh, the Shadow Broker kidnaps uh, the 
person that was double crossing her anyway. And at the end of that, she helps get Shepard's body back, and then she goes on her own mission to to get back uh, Theron, who Baron. is Baron. yeah uh, her, her friend by this point. Uh, so during the mission, during the Shadow Broker mission, you can team up with Liara and chase down clues at her apartment, and then you head off to the Shadow Broker's actual ship uh, for the final confrontation with the shadow broker and then she becomes the shadow broker in his place and you get a few more bits of information about your crew that you're with um and then she gives a little visit to the normandy and then that's it that again she can't join you because now she's the shadow broker what are your thoughts on the shadow broker dlc well being a big that big advocate for the tally romance i think it is vastly overrated i do think i I, I I will I will say it in my opinion I love the taxi chase. It was clearly referencing um, Star Wars: Attack of the Clones, where um, obviously you're you're chasing after an assassin in a taxi, which is obviously not the same vehicle, but you're kind of like in this flying car sort of situation. Yeah. And um, I thought the chase was quite cool, and the banter between Liara and Shepard is very is quite funny. Um, you know, and Liara's just going, truck, truck. And then Shepard goes, I know. Um, I think it's, I think Shepard says, um, are there any weapons on this thing? And Liara says, <laughs> this is a taxi. It's got a fare meter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, did um, make me giggle when I heard that. <laughs> yeah. It's the sort of thing Shepard would say, that you, you're kind of all hyped up and, you know, car chase and like, where's the guns? Where's the guns? <laughs> yeah. And it that feels like a really cool action fueled segment, and I wish, I wish the main game had more segments like that. But there were other segments in the story to me that just sat, sort of slogged along and felt like they were stretching it out for the sake of it being a DLC. Certain combat segments felt like they were stretched out so much. I mean, I know, I know he's the shadow broker, but when your ship is as hit, well hidden as it is. Do you need that much security on your ship? <laughs> Fair point. Um, but yeah, that 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 felt a little bit tedious when like there'd been that much of a build up to getting to the Shadow Broker ship in the first place. Yeah, yeah, I I did find that there were there were cool action segments, there were less cool action segments, and I like that she picks up on who you've romanced. Though, if you've cheated on her with somebody, she picks up on it. Yeah. Yeah, she she knows what she's a very good information broker. Yeah, yeah. I suppose I I didn't think about that. I I, I think when I was playing, I was wondering actually, like how does it, how does she know? But I, it didn't cross my mind that before she's the shadow broker, she is an information broker. But it does. It is worth knowing that this DLC helps you see a whole different side of Liara. It shows how different she is, how much she's changed from the first game. Yeah, she. I mean, should I say that she is like the, the poster child of the series, isn't she? And they had to find another way to to get her in. Yeah, but it it felt right to me. It felt like um, Shepard had rubbed off on her in a really interesting way. And I think you could argue as well that if Asari at her age are considered like barely older than a child she's probably quite um 
impressionable. And I think Shepard made, clearly made an impression just judging by how can-do and hands-on she is in that game. You know, she she's a little bit like just charging headfirst when when she's chasing after that sorry Spectre. It was, it was a nice DLC. I, I, yeah. do, I, I still stand by that it's like overhyped in my opinion. But what did you think? Yeah, no, I, I yeah, I agree with that. I liked her outfit change. Um, I wasn't too keen on that dress thing that she was wearing when you first meet her, but then when you you get into the DLC, she looks um, it it's a nice outfit that she's she's got on. I liked her attitude. I liked the twist with the other Spectre. It was nice yeah. that you got to see another Spectre in the field, which you know the only other one you'd seen up to that point was Seren, and you know, the one he was chasing down. And then you kind of it was like, is she going to betray me? Is she all right? And then, of course, she does betray you, and you think, oh, maybe they're all corrupted. But, yeah, that was it was good. I mean, like the, the falling, she runs off, you know, chasing after them, and you you come and catch up with her, and it's, it's like, I, you know, he's getting away. It's like, yeah, I'm fine, thanks. You know, I've just fallen, like, 30 foot. But, yeah, I'm all right. Don't worry. <laughs> and then, uh, again, like you say, the car chase. It had a little bit of everything, really, I think. Yeah, uh, the only downside I think really was the the ship itself. I wasn't too keen on on the ship, and then come Mass Effect Three, she's had to ditch it anyway, which I thought was a bit of a cop out. It would be nice to have a sort of mini fleet, wouldn't it? Really, you could, but then I suppose you wouldn't have been able to to join your crew if she had her own ship to to manage. Yeah, but I like the all the little information things that you can go and you can check all the terminals, and you've got all this wealth of information about your crew and stuff that's happening on the citadel and nice little tidbits of information that you know you would expect to find in a shadow Bokers ship yeah yeah i think the emails and stuff is is quite interesting as well like seeing miranda staying in contact with her sister and um i don't know hearing little bits about um legion's interests which is very weird <laughs> um well, even the stuff that you don't talk about, like Miranda, you know, being on a dating site and she's wanting to get married and found out that she can't have kids. It's stuff that that isn't spoken about, but then you, it kind of expands the character, doesn't it? Yeah, that just does become one of those things, though, where I feel like if you're romancing Miranda, that's something she should have told you. There's <laughs> a big missed opportunity there. I mean, it... If seeing as you've only just like had sex once in the second game, it's fair enough that she still doesn't want to tell you. She's afraid to tell you, but then in Mass Effect Three, just have her tell you. Yeah, yeah, it feels like if you're that close to her by the third game, she should kind of trust you enough to tell you. But it's not really a nice way to find out by looking at an email. But I do think the emails were, were were a great addition and a nice way to find out more. The cameras were kind of pointless, in my opinion. Yeah. Anything else to say on the, on the Shadow Broker? It's nice that she comes back to the Normandy at the end, and you spend yeah. the night together. That's quite sweet. Um, okay. the, boss, the boss fight was interesting. Yeah, it was different, wasn't it? And putting up a shield on that. And... You had to shoot at the glass ceiling with the electricity and have it pour down on him. Yeah. It was a unique way of doing a fight. Shepard, you have become an annoyance. You fight against inevitability, dust struggling against cosmic winds. This seems a victory to you, 
a star system sacrificed. But even now, your greatest civilizations are doomed to fall. Your leaders will beg to serve us. Maybe you're right. Maybe we can't win this. But we'll fight you regardless. Just like we did Sovereign. Just like I'm doing now. However insignificant we might be, we will fight. We will sacrifice and we will find a way. That's what humans do. Know this as you die in vain. Your time will come. Your species will fall. Prepare yourselves for the right. arrival. So, the final bit of DLC for Mass Effect 2 was uh, Arrival. Now, this bridges the gap between Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 3. A uh, deep cover agent has uh, gone missing in the Batarian space after reporting evidence of an imminent Reaper invasion. Um, Hackett asks Shepard to travel to the edge of the galaxy, rescue the agent, and discover the truth about the arrival. It's a solo mission, which is a first for, for the Mass Effect series. You don't have your crew with you. Yeah. And uh, you have to save... Uh, what's her name? Dr. Kenson, isn't it? Yes. Amanda Kenson. So you save her, and then on the way back to uh, our... our station she tells you about uh, object row and shepherd being shepherd can't go oh that's nice right we'll tell Hackett about it i've got another mission to go to no shepherd has to go i want to see this for myself so they change direction and go to uh, go to the space station where it's located and everything's fine up until Shepard walks in and they say, like, why haven't you got it contained? It's like, oh, it's okay, it's fine, it's giving us visions, no problem. And then uh, everything goes to hell. And uh, they're, they're firing a, a giant asteroid into, the plan is to fire a giant asteroid into the Batarian's system's Mass Effect relay to stop the arrival of the Reapers because that's where they're going to, to come to. And she wants to send stop it, doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah, they well actually they've just decided um not to go through with it anymore. Yeah. Because um, this object has Reaper object has, has basically kind of corrupted them and told them not to. Yeah. Um Yeah, I I I have I've I really I really like that DLC. I do think it's really cool that it really does set up Mass Effect 3 a lot better. And it really does feel like the stakes are high. And the countdown actually being there as well is a really nice touch. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like... To me, it has to go after the main game. I know technically you can... Now with the Legendary Edition, you can play it whenever. And I like that the way they, they've adapted it so it changes slightly if you play it before you finished it. But to me, it, it fits perfectly after the main campaign and it does bridge that gap uh, really well. Yeah. Yeah, I think that conversation with... Um, is it Sovereign? Yeah. Yeah. The yeah, you get Sovereign if you do it after and you get the Collector General if you do it before. Yeah. 
like actually having that conversation with Sovereign, that gives you something that you don't even get in Mass Effect 3. Yeah. Um, because Sovereign's just kind of there at the end of 3. You don't really get any interaction with Sovereign. Um, which is just weird, to be honest. But Arrival provides you that, like, you've killed my general, I'm coming for you kind of thing. And, yeah, which just tees up to, not tees up, but it, it sets up Mass Effect 3, like, perfectly. Aside from the fact that you don't actually, like, directly fight Sovereign. Yeah. <laughs> which is a bit weird after everything you've been through. Yeah. Um, but on, like, the more negative side of Arrival, I didn't like that you couldn't bring your companions. I really didn't given the stakes of everything that you're doing. Like, just having Hackett say, oh, this is so secret, we can't have companions. Like, if it makes sense, but it also feels like a bit of a cop-out because they don't want a voice companion line for a DLC. Yeah. I think um, it's Joker's the, the quietest it's ever been yes. at the end of that. It, it feels really out of place. Yeah. And you've got some random guy saying Normandy inbound or something. <laughs> and oh, yeah. just sat there. <laughs> oh yes, Carl. I can always depend on you to do whatever it is you do. I think the only other bad thing for me is is the whole Kenson. You get a decision about halfway through whether to shoot her or not. And it doesn't matter either way, does it? No, it doesn't. It's a pointless choice. Even if the you know she was going to die anyway, at least do the whole telltale style, uh, where you know does she die at this point or does she die a bit further later on? That's the kind of choice that you're making, rather than whichever option you, you pick, she's just going to die straight away. So I think it would have been really cool, right? Is if you could get her off that station, but she's still indoctrinated and you just can't save her, and like you even come to her in Mass Effect 3 if you've got her off that station and you use her to speak to Sovereign or something like she ends up being like the the voice of Sovereign for like a mission in Mass Effect 3 I think that would have been awesome yeah I don't know but yeah I, I, I feel like Kenson sort of like the way Kenson betrays you I think could have been done a little bit better yeah it's very sudden wasn't it yeah have you yeah. ever managed to survive that fight as well Apparently, can survive it. I have actually. It took a lot of effort, but I did. <laughs> I think I got to the last wave and I died. Looks like the last time I did it. Yeah, I played Mass Effect Two a lot of times though before I actually <laughs> could do it. I played it so much more than the other two. So you get just get hit with the shock wave or something, so you still end up getting knocked out. Yeah, but that special little cutscene where they're all surrounding you—it happens regardless in the Legendary Edition, which is kind of annoying. Yeah, to me it was a, it was a it was a perfect bridging DLC. Um, it's not one of my favourites, I must admit, but I do like that. If you think about it logically, Mass Effect Three, you would be really angry that they hadn't prepared because they would have been in an Earth within like a couple of hours, and that's what you stopped. But they knew from arriving in that system which they would almost there it would take a further six months to travel from that system to earth and lo and behold between mass effect 2 and mass effect 3 
it's six months. So yeah, yeah, I can see why at the start of Mass Effect Three, Shepard is proper angry that they haven't done anything to prepare for it. Yeah, it does add that a little bit more to to Mass Effect Three. Hello, everyone. I'm Mac Walters, and you're listening to the Lazarus Project podcast. All right, so moving into Mass Effect 3. Uh, the first part of the DLC, DLC again, it's a character DLC. Uh, so I don't think there's really much to say about this one. This is um, it's from Ashes. Did I mention Salarians used to lick their eyes? How far they have come. They're more than Salarian asked if he could dissect me. I approved, but only if he could defeat me in combat first. His reply was problematic. Uh, the character that they allegedly cut out of the main game and then added in as a day one DLC and charged for it, which is a pretty scummy thing to do, especially with because um, Javik is Javik is like one of the main characters for the game. Uh, so it's a Reaper. You wake up a Reaper, not a Reaper, <laughs> a Prothean. You wake up a Prothean. And then you uh, you get to see some flashbacks of uh, the the point where he gets uh, put into cryo sleep. Learn about the last few days of his empire and that, which is quite nice. You make it sound so peaceful. <laughs> it's quite nice, you know. Watch watching the destruction of a of a of a race. Well, again, yeah, it's something that I think they didn't have to do. They could have just had him. They didn't even have to have him in the game, to be fair. So, uh, I can I can see that I can agree to that because, to be fair, the the first version of Mass Effect Three I played was the very raw. So, yeah, you can play it without him and, and still get like a fulfilling experience. But at the same time, once you once you know that he's in there, I feel like it's hard to imagine yeah. the game without him. That's it. That's what I mean by being an important part of the of the uh, the game because like you say once you know because he's got a lot of content as well it's not like a zahid or a kasumi where it's just kind of flavor text after you've done their loyalty missions he is like a major part of of, of the of the game and got his own cut scenes and his own you know personal story that you can decide how he he ends up at the end of it yeah because you've also got um his interaction with God, what's it called? Um, the shard. The, is it the shard? No, not the shard. Um, I mean, obviously, yeah, the shard, but not that's not what I meant. It's not the catalyst. It's something else. It's it's the thing they're looking for on um, Liara's homeworld. Oh, the um, yeah, the 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 AI thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the, the Prothean AI, um, you get a special interaction with Javik that just sort of, yeah, like that and the realization that Liara goes through about the Protheans being their, their gods who they've been worshipping, like that, it just doesn't feel right for that not to play out, for, for that to play out without Javik, like a live Prothean there to tell Liara the truth about, you know, the whole you know, the whole Asari religion. Yeah. Do you think it was a good idea making him a, a, a soldier rather than a scientist? 
because Liara gets a bit frustrated that he doesn't really know. I think it's a genius idea. Because, <laughs> I mean, what better character to, for like a traumatized soul? For, what, I mean, a traumatized soldier is more interesting than a Prothean scientist. Because to me, a Prothean scientist is just going to be another Morden or a less interesting Morden. I like the I, I like the twist on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the last remaining Prothean and the, the just a soldier. Yeah, because I imagine there were a lot of soldiers, and if you think about how strategic, I mean, if you, first of all, if you think about how what what if if they're that late into the war, you're gonna have a lot more soldiers than you're gonna have scientists. I feel, I feel like a lot of scientists are either gonna be in hiding in pods already, or they're gonna be dead. Yeah. And, yeah, I think it, it makes a lot more sense. And, yeah, any, any scientists that aren't hidden away, the, the Reapers are going to be pretty strategic in trying to, take, in, in trying to kill them. Um, and it just makes the most sense to me. I find Javik so much more interesting anyway. How did you feel about him? It's actually been a while since I played Mass Effect 3, so my, my opinion's probably dulled. But I, I remember getting quite annoyed with him at certain points. I probably need to play a few more games with him. It was a bit like that with James, to be fair. I never used to take him out anywhere because I always stick with the characters that I'd, I'd played with for like, the, the previous games and didn't really take the time to get to know James. And the last time I played, I did a lot more with James and I actually found him to be quite uh, a decent character. So maybe I should do the same with Javik, to be fair. Yeah. I mean, if you did a playthrough where you just killed all of the legacy characters, it'd be a lot easier. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, he's he, I mean Javik's very blunt. So I can understand people's dislike of him. And he's also like just he comes across as really inconsiderate. But he's also from such a different era as well, such a different time. And you know, his race have a certain belief and everyone's sort of raised to have that belief that you know, you conquer or you die basically yeah um and it's a really to me it's a really interesting philosophy especially when you sort of think about the whole strength in numbers argument we need to work together but only the strongest person is the person who unifies us and the protheans are the strongest in the first like five minutes of a proper conversation you start to question like everything liara said about the it just goes to show that this race were from a long time ago and you can sort of form your own opinions about these races yeah like truly know them you can kind of get so caught up in your research that yeah she's got this kind of romanticized vision of them yeah and they, they weren't they were just brutal totalitarians weren't they just... which yeah. makes which makes <laughs> sense though like why is why else would it be that in the last cycle the only remains you can find are yeah just it makes it makes perfect sense but like when you're doing all the research and the digging and everything you 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 put in what you want them to be as well and you're you dream them up to be what you want them to be yeah i I love the shard decision when you interact with the shard and basically basically you you tell you you get the choice which again is another one where you sort of thinking should i be the one to make this decision for javik but Javik's asking you to if he should interact with the Shard. And I think that's a very good choice because, to me, there is no right answer. No. Like, you can argue and say, 
like so someone so someone might say to me hey in one decision javik dies so clearly there's a right decision but to me the decision where he dies still feels very very right because he's he's accepted the past he's embraced the past and he knows he has to destroy the reapers and he knows that he's 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 truly sort of embraced that he's the last of his kind and everything that's happened to them and like he says be at peace with his people and to me yeah he he doesn't make it out to be a bad thing that he's going to die so it's it's just it's a really nice decision that has consequence but it doesn't feel right or wrong whatever you choose to me at least yeah if he lives he writes a book with the arrow and he'd like sort of come up with different titles and yeah i think there's an alternate version to that as well but it's it's yeah i i really like the closure with javik and i do think not enough people use him i don't use him but he's an he's a very interesting character who, as you said should be in the main game yeah yeah absolutely my name is scott Ryder, tom taylorson calling in for the andromeda galaxy and you are listening to the lazarus project podcast So after that, we got the extended cut, which I don't think we need to really go into. It just added a few explainers uh, to the ending of Mass Effect 3 because people weren't very happy with it. Uh, you've got the breathing scene if you do the destroy ending and how the, the Normandy left uh, and a few other little dialogue tweaks here and there. So the next major, again, there was a few uh, firefight packs and armor packs and gun weapon packs and stuff like that. But the next major DLC for Mass Effect 3 was the, the Leviathan. Do not conceive of a galaxy that bends to your will. Every creature, every nation, every planet we discovered became our tools. We were above the concerns of lesser species. The intelligence was envisioned as simply another tool. And now we all pay the price for your mistake. There was no mistake. Um, so this takes place during the events of Mass Effect 3 and you're thrust into the darkest corners of space where you hunt a mysterious being rumored to be powerful enough to destroy a reaper. As a race against time, you'll begin to unravel the secret of the Leviathan, explore uncharted systems and new areas of the Citadel, interact with brand new characters, unlock the AT-12 Raider shotgun and the M55 Argus assault rifle, and discover more about the mysterious history of the Reapers. Ah, yes, Reapers. Ah, yes, Reapers. <laughs> uh, so basically, this is a you do a bit of investigating work, um, and then you go to a planet and go down to the depths of the ocean to find uh, the Leviathans, the actual creators of the Reapers, and the species that they're all based upon. Yeah. What do you think of this 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 DLC then? It's got some pretty good highlights, to be honest. Like, I there's there's the shock factor at the start with the scientists that you first meet, like getting shot by a possessed soldier. There's um, that emotional scene where you meet his daughter. And she's like in her father dying. I think you don't see her very much, but. It's, they they do a good job of like making you care a little bit about her. I mean, I I loved that element of it. I loved I loved the interaction with Leviathan 
and learning a lot more about like a lot like Javik as well they're not just a benevolent species that had the best intentions like they wanted to rule everything they they were the gods <laughs> of their cycle um and naturally their ai are going to develop a god complex as well <laughs> um yeah, everyone's thinking that they're going to be the next uh, enemy as well but yeah, I th I think it would make a lot of sense, but I think it would also not be different enough to the Reapers. So I don't think they'll do it. Well, what did you, what did you think, sort of a, an overall of of that DLC? It's yeah, it's quite a good one to be fair. I quite like it. I'm not too keen on the ending. I thought that was a bit a bit too weird, and disappointed that you don't actually see like an outcome of it. Yeah. yeah. But, but what, the... Sorry, go on. But what part of the ending didn't you like? The... Um, I mean, I've got a, a, a mod that I use for it now, which I prefer. Uh, but yeah, when you're speaking to, to it directly and it's appearing to you as like your crew members and stuff, the mod that I've got, it kind of changes it to your love interest. Okay. Uh, which is, I think it's, it's better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, I don't know. It, I liked the investigation thing at the start. I liked the fact that you had to find different uh, parts of the system and then put them into that galaxy map, and then you had to go and check those locations. And I liked all that stuff and the story of of uh, the doctor and his daughter, and that that was quite good. And even just going down in the into the water uh, in that uh, atlas atlas thing that was quite good. Yeah, Different. that was really cool. Yeah, just walking underwater. Yeah, that was, that was quite cool with the torch and everything. And also, it was one of the few DLCs that had companion interaction. Like, was that so hard? I mean, this is a big deal. This DLC is a big deal. It's supposed to be. You know, it's a it's a huge change to the war effort. So it's, it's a huge addition to the war effort and get the Leviathan on your side. You know, just having James come out of the ship, having him come out to do something, you know, regardless. You know, makes people think twice about leaving him on the ship. Maybe they like him a little bit more now. You know, he's, he was helping the scientist. He was holding the scientist while pin a location down on Leviathan. Ultimately, like you said, I feel like it should have had a bigger impact on the ending. But uh, apart from that, it's, it's a pretty decent DLC. I think they're, they're slightly overpowered. I'm honest, I think that's why we won't see them as the next enemy, because they can just use telepathic thoughts and get you to do whatever you want. So how do you fight something like that? Yeah. I think that's why they kind of ignored like any changes to that end fight on Earth, because they know that if they just had Leviathan, you know, take over any Reaper, you'd instantly just think, well, why don't you just take over all of them? And then we're done. <laughs> we can all go home. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of questions, I think, like they could have defined how limited their abilities are, maybe. Yeah. That would have been a great way to have it make a bit more sense and not like, question why you need to be involved if you fight. I assume this is about retaking Omega? 
This is about your war, Shepard. Cerberus controlling the Terminus system seriously bolsters their mobility. Since taking Omega, they've spread through the galaxy. Surely the Alliance has noticed. Cut to the chase. What's your plan? Kick them out. Hey, uh, so the next next DLC that was released was uh, Omega. Mega. Mass Effect 3 Omega. And this is where you get to go back to Mass Effect 2's one of the main one of the main hubs there. And you go with Aria to take down General Oleg Petrovsky. And again, it follows on from a comic where he he overtakes uh, Omega, kicks her out, and that's why she's ended up on the Citadel in Mass Effect 3. So uh, again, it was a nice little DLC. You get to go back. Uh, you get to see your very first female Turian uh, in Nyrene. Mm. You also get uh, to meet your very first female clone, don't you? Omega. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay, that 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 went right over your head, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Where? O Omega. No. <laughs> Omega the clone. Oh, of course. Yeah, from Star Wars. Yeah. Been a long day. <laughs> uh, I quite like this one, to be fair. It's nice to go back. I have a, a thing about going back to places you've already been, although. The main bar looks slightly different. I don't know if it's just because they block certain areas off so you can shoot and fight around it. But hmm. What is it that you liked about it? Was it just the nostalgia? Yeah, I think it was the main thing, really. Nostalgia falling into it. I didn't like the barrier things and the robot things that you had to shoot, but you got a kind of little hub thing, didn't you? Uh, it wasn't just a straightforward um, DLC. You, you had... Quite a lot of story elements to it. I think you can get a kiss from you can get a kiss from Aria at the end of it. Depending on your choices, you do. Yeah. I could not care less about this DLC. Really? Yeah. Um, I will give it credit for showing us a female Turian final. But if it wasn't for the war assets, you know, if I'm at a certain stage in a story and I think, yeah, I'm close enough to getting the overpowered status, I'll just do this DLC so I can get there sooner. I will do it. I mean, I won't skip it just because it's content usually. Yeah. Um, but I don't enjoy doing it at all. Um, it just, it just feels tedious. It just feels like an over, overblown campaign that just takes too long, and it just it doesn't feel like it has very much going for it in terms of story. Just like, so Nyrene and Arya had sex at some point. Um, <laughs> And yeah, Arya might be a nice person after all. Who, who saw that coming? Yeah. And oh, 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 and there's a Russian villain. Yeah. Very, very unexpected. <laughs> you got the adjudants as well. Is it adjudants? Is that what they're called? Yeah, those blue monstrosities. Reaper things. Yeah. It was interesting, I guess, but it just kind of, to me, made it too obvious too early on about indoctrinated the like Cerberus must be like to work or create creatures like that. I mean, I know like I, I know Cerberus was no stranger to doing certain experiments in the past, but you know, working that directly with Reapers or experimenting that directly on Reapers, we 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 find out in Sanctuary doing that. 
but then seeing that in the Omega DLC spoils that. Yeah. And um, I don't know. Someone might argue that it sets it up better, but to me, it just kind of feels like it's another excuse to throw another an enemy in there. I will say the enemies are unique. Like there are different like all sorts of robot stuff that you fight as well. Cerberus like robots. Yeah. Um, and they integrate laser fields and things in an interesting way. But yeah, I just I wasn't a big fan of it. What about, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I I like it again. Like I say, there's a nostalgia thing for it, but it's not one that I feel that I have to play every time. Um, it doesn't kind of grip me the way the rest of them do. But yeah, I, I don't. I quite I like going back to Omega and and seeing the bar. And I like I say, I have this this thing about going back to places that you've been before and and seeing. It's a bit like why I don't like the Citadel itself because it changes in like all three games. Mm. I thought, well, that's not how I remember it. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Okay, so that brings us to the final DLC, uh, which is the Citadel. I guess shore leaves over. At least we threw one hell of a party. Probably the last one. No. No matter what happens, you'll find a way to do what's right. For all of us. Serving on a human ship. I never would have guessed. And this is uh, it's like a final hurrah. Uh, it's your kind of... It's your happy ending if you don't do the ending sort of thing it's um the last chance you get to get all of your crew past and present together there's a little bit of a story and then you can have a big party at the end of it one thing i've never done on this is have a quiet sophisticated party it's always been the the lively one so i don't actually know what the difference is i think um things are just a lot less dramatic like all the conversations are different but People aren't in quite as a sorry state yeah. after. Boring then. <laughs> oh, it's just more friendly. I love this DLC. I I think it it just it gives us a lot of what we were missing from the previous games. Like, um, the problem is with with um with any choice based game is if they can if a character can be dead, then it's easier to just lessen their involvement if they're alive. And you see that in, like, Rex, for example. Rex could be dead in Mass Effect 1. And then in Mass Effect 2, he's off into Chunker. So you only have to see him briefly. And then it's just kind of convenient that in Mass Effect 3 that he comes on your ship briefly for a small series of minutes. But then you look at the Citadel and it adds that sort of extra friendly banter and stuff that makes you love that character more. But it also gives you that kind of, for Mass Effect 2 companion, a... You know, it fulfills you a little bit more. It, it, you know, it gives you what you want in that. You know, if you romance a Mass Effect two, you really don't get much in Mass Effect three. But in the Citadel DLC, they kind of give you that little bit that you've been looking for. That meeting up and doing this and that. You know, with with Miranda, it's that going to the casino, and it just gives you that little bit more from what you were expecting if you were just disappointed with the base game. Yeah, yeah. 
it's got a lot of good elements to it, isn't it? You can tell it's been very well crafted. Yeah, and it's looking on the negative side of things, playing a bit of devil's advocate, the clone storyline was a little bit messy. See, I quite like that. I think it ties in really well to, to Mass Effect 2, that, and especially a bit later on, because you, you start questioning yourself, are you actually a clone? And then to have the clone arc of, you know, you've been brought back and, you know, yeah, they would have made clones, you know, if they could afford to, you know, not have the original and if they can bring back a clone Shepard, then, um, or, you know, if they needed to replace body parts and stuff, then why wouldn't they? I think it's a bit, it's a shame that you can't save them or convince them to, to join you in some kind of fashion. Mm. But no, I, I, yeah, I'd be mean, like, I say, I'm not, the, the part is okay. It doesn't really do much for me, really. I think it's probably because I've done it so many times. Maybe but it's all the extra stuff. Doing it the get. same way. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I probably <laughs> should try it the other way, but I know I'm probably just disappointed. But it's the extra things you get, all the the extra area in the Citadel, um, its own storyline, and uh, one of the most intriguing characters that I find in the whole franchise as well. Last Exactly, yeah. <laughs> oh, you do get to go to the Blasto set. Oh. Onto the movie set, the Blasto movie. Is that the Citadel? Yeah. Can't remember that bit. It's where so you meet up. It's where you meet up with Javik. Oh yeah, that's right. Because um they think it's somebody in costume, don't they? Yeah. 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 I say it's been a long time since I've I haven't played for a while, actually. But yeah, I just I love that bit where they say um I don't know, like, where they've got um, the stunt double who, like, looks nothing like Shepard. I think it's the funniest thing in the world we female Shepard. <laughs> and the stunt double's still male, and you're just like, I, I don't know how you got the stunt double that right. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, I absolutely loved, um, like, meeting up with the companions, and, like, going out to this place or that place, you know, the casino, the arcade yeah. back. All of that stuff. Okay, um, so that's all the DLCs. Do you have a personal favourite? Uh, probably not surprising, but it is the Citadel. Um, I just, I love all of the companion interactions, and as I said, how much it adds to all of the previous games and helps you get to know them a lot better. And the one thing that I just, I can't not play that DLC for, which is that sh that scene in the docking bay where all of your companions are crowded together looking at the Normandy. Like, the, the music in that, the fact that every romance companion has a conversation and they sort of, like, lie on your shoulder a little bit. And it just feels calm and quiet. It's just such a perfect moment. It just kind of sums up the developers' love trilogy. Um, having, you know, all of everyone together, like, just in silence, enjoying the moment. Say for obviously Shepard, who's talking to Roman, and you know all of the other stuff I was saying just before. <laughs> so, what is your favourite DLC? Uh, well, no surprise, it's uh, it's the same, to be honest. Yeah, the Citadel. I I do really like the Shadow Broker one uh, because it's you get to you know you you play through Mass Effect Two and its return of of Liara and, and you get everything, you know, the investigation side, the chasing side and stuff. I really do like that. But 
No, again, the Citadel C is still C. It's so well crafted. Um, you've got that apartment. You get a whole new area of the Citadel to go to anytime you want to as well. It's not just part of the story. Um, you've got the investigation side of the the club that you go to as part of the main story. Um, it introduces uh, one of my favorite characters in the franchise, um, Brooks. That uh, she, you know, has been so instrumental in the, throughout the entire series, but you, you don't actually, you know, she's always been working in the background, and you get know, you get the whole clone storyline as well, which I think ties in really well to to Mass Effect Two. It was a nice, it's a it's a very satisfying ending uh, to that, and getting into the ship as well, into your ship, but seeing it from a different kind of perspective. Yes, actually sort of seeing what's underneath that, that little space um, yeah. on the corridor up to the bridge. That was brilliant, like seeing that as like another secret entrance. And the fact that you have to use trainer's toothbrush to get in, <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, it was a nice little touch. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very well done. It's very well crafted. And like you get that photo at the end of Beam. It is. It's your kind of your final. You have to play it as the, the last thing you do before you go into the final mission. It's you know that's when you, you play it once you, you you've got everybody there and the return of Rex as well, mm. which you know at the very end you can still betray him or you know you know finds out that uh, that you didn't cure the genophage and stuff. So yeah, yeah, it's it's very well done. Yeah, I must admit I do enjoy it. Okay, is that. Uh, Anything else to say on any of the DLCs? I would like to add an honourable mention to the Mass Effect Andromeda DLC. What Mass Effect Andromeda DLC? That's the joke, Tim. <laughs> the one that, uh, that got planned but never made. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, but be sure to check out our other episodes available on all good podcatchers. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on our email at me.projectpodcast at gmail.com or Twitter uh, at ploppy54 or you can find Craig on X, quote unquote, or Twitter at Craig and his Mac. And you can support the show on our Patreon, which you'll receive some small little extras. Details of that and our Discord are in the show notes. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Commander. How about you? Tim? Hello, Tim. Tim. Okay. He gone. Welcome to the Craig Podcast. A Craig Podcast discussing his life, his journey, his week, and his opinions. This week, Craig was sat on a chair doing a podcast on his own about his life. And he took over the podcast and decided to talk about the fact that he had a ham sandwich today. And my neck went down. But I'm back. <laughs> okay. Welcome back. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to wait until the podcast now to hear what you were just saying about me, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. I love you, <laughs> All I got was a ham sandwich. <laughs> Um, yeah, I thought it was you that disappeared. It wasn't, it was me. Oh, okay. Okay, uh, so...
um yeah um out of all the dlcs which one is your favorite oh you didn't hear that did you no i didn't okay. 